Welcome to the Cyclone Scoop, your home for Iowa State football, basketball, and recruiting talk. Here are your hosts, 24-7 Sports' Alex Halstead and the Cedar Rapids Gazette's Dylan Montz. Welcome to the Cyclone Scoop. I'm Alex Halstead, joined by Dylan Montz, and we've got a recruiting-focused Cyclone Scoop for you this week. It's going to be all recruiting from start to finish, and uh, most of that's going to be a conversation with 24-7 Sports Director of Recruiting Steve Wiltfong. Uh, we're going to touch on a number of topics in about a 20-minute interview with him. Uh, we'll talk about some of Iowa State's commits, some trends in recruiting, how he thinks Matt Campbell has done from from afar. And uh, I think, you know, I think – you know, you'll hopefully get a lot out of it uh, as recruiting kind of pushes ahead. And then uh, to wrap up the show, we'll also dive into uh, Iowa State's class so far, you know, what, what it looks like so far and, and what they have left as uh, the August dead period continues on. But uh, let's just jump into the interview. We're joined now by 24-7 Sports Director of Recruiting Steve Wiltfong. Uh, covers recruiting across the country, but really has a good knowledge base of the Midwest as well. And uh, Iowa State's been heavy in the Midwest so far since Matt Campbell's got here. And uh, Steve, first of all, thanks for taking some time out of your busy schedule to join us. Guys, excited to be on. The Cyclones have the right guy and the right staff rebuilding that program in Ames. You saw how close that football team was in a number of ball games last year. Just goes to show you the type of developers of young men and football players the staff is led by Matt Campbell. And, and now you'll see this football team in year two take another step forward. That was going to kind of be my first question is, you know, Matt Campbell's been here for two and a half classes or so. I mean, that first recruiting class in 2016 happened in 60 days, but for the most part, it was all of his kids. Um, what have you kind of seen from you know, your vantage point through two and a half classes uh, as they've gotten a variety of kids from different parts of the country and some sleepers and, and some kids that are maybe well-ranked? Well, they have a staff that's hungry to get after it on the trail and uh, they've really put a premium on recruiting. And you have a head coach in Matt Campbell that also puts an emphasis on, on, on recruiting in, in his role. And he knows it's important for him to be involved in, in getting to know these young men that they're recruiting. And, and uh, you, you look at you look at what they've done on the trail, and I think that they, they've elevated the – the size and speed and athleticism across the board, you know, particularly uh, in the front seven uh, on defense. And, and uh, so I think you're going to see a football team that, as it continues to progress under the staff, just be tougher. And, and uh, obviously I think that you'll see them start to be more successful in the win column. And Steve, we kind of wanted to pick your brain a little bit about a couple of these guys. And the first one we're going to kind of quiz you about was in-state offensive lineman Trevor Downing. And he was a guy that they had built a relationship with for a long time and had to kind of battle for with Iowa and Minnesota. What do you kind of see out of his game and how do you think he could maybe fit at Iowa State down the road? Well, I think first and foremost with Trevor Downing, that was a huge recruiting win that I'm not sure that they're accustomed to, to winning in Ames. I know you get you, you guys won the battle for Alan Lazard, but he was that was his home field advantage as you're going to get. But for Trevor Downing to, to beat a school like Iowa that has the tradition that they have uh, on the offensive line, it just goes to show you that this staff can, can land better in-state players and in, in, head-to-head recruiting battles but in, in Trevor Downing they're getting a guy that 
you know, he hunts defensive linemen when the ball is snapped. He's an aggressive offensive lineman. He's a big kid. He's got traits to develop into a good one. There's another kid that I think you've seen uh, relatively up close and maybe a little under the radar. I mean, we've got him um, a little lower, but he started getting offers towards the end of his recruitment but shut it down before he could get too far. Is Javion Morton a cornerback, um, you know, from the Midwest? What, what have you seen in him as, as he's kind of progressed into what will be a senior year? Yeah, he's had, he had a uh, hell of an offseason at camp. Deal. He's 5'9", 160, but he's extremely fluid, has that change of direction, quickness, and a guy that Iowa State will need in the wide-open uh, offensive schemes of the Big 12. He's a guy that will be able to cover those smaller, shiftier slot receivers that you'll see Oklahoma and Texas running out there in their offenses. We won't go through all these guys, but one other one I know you've seen in person is, is Real Mitchell. Uh, obviously, people get excited about a quarterback because they can – changed so much with the program I think you you wrote when he committed that you know if he was a couple inches taller he'd be a guy that you know a lot more schools want I mean he has 10 power five offers or something like that but uh what do you see in his game and, and what he can do even though he is uh just below six foot well first of all Real Mitchell is the quarterback for maybe the best high school football team in the country this year they're the defending state champs in California he completed 70% of his passes, which goes to show you that he sees the field incredibly well. Is an outstanding decision maker. Threw for almost 3,000 yards and 30 touchdowns. Ran for over 1,000 yards and 15 more scores. He's incredibly dynamic. I believe the first play of the season against Cincinnati St. X, he went, it was the second play, excuse me, 98 yards for a touchdown. So that's just how dynamic he, he is with the ball in his hands. And then in the state championship game, um, goes 18 for 20. Um, Eight feet, 18 for 20 for 192 yards and two touchdowns in the biggest game of the season. So how about that? Yeah, and, and I know he's got uh, a lot of talent at that school at St. John Bosco. It'll be interesting to see them. I think they start the season on ESPN or ESPN2. So um, I guess before we move on, on from him, because you, you see a lot of different prospects year in and year out. It seems like college more, I mean, more than any other level, especially. I, obviously, the NFL maybe will be more difficult, but – at the college level, you can kind of get away with a, a smaller quarterback, and, and um, I know that's something that's motivated Real is to prove people that he can play in the Big 12 even though he is just below six foot. Well, if you're a smaller quarterback, you have to have that great those great instincts, and you have to be able to find your throwing lanes and, and see over that line of scrimmage. Those are the challenges, and, and it's not easy for a lot of guys, but if you're so good at processing what's in front of you and you're just athletic as, as hell, you have, you have a chance to make things happen. And if there is going to be a, a quarterback under six foot that's making a lot of plays on the next level, I think it is going to be Real Mitchell and Ames. And then uh, not to put you on the spot, because I know you, you cover you know all these Power 5 schools across the country, but when you look at Iowa State's commit list, are, is there any guys that maybe stand out as guys that could be the sleeper type? Because it seems in this class they've got a mix of guys who are you know, really highly rated and, and have a lot of different uh, Power 5 offers. And then a couple guys who, you know, maybe they liked that camp or um, they're taking chances on early because they just evaluated them so highly within their program. Well, I think Anthony Johnson's a guy that I also liked a lot on uh, film, the cornerback uh, out, of, out of Florida. I thought he 
is a guy that was incredibly productive down there uh, in St. Petersburg. For Iowa State, you just got to like the way they're rebuilding this football team with the, with the, a nice blend of junior college players. And um, yeah, like how's Ray Lima doing? You know, he was he was a big time get for them late. A guy that people thought was going to end up at Oklahoma. Yeah, yeah, he's you know a guy that right now is number one on their depth chart, and then they got you know in this last class they had three top fifty JUCOs with Ray Lima. Camilo Tangamoa, who they're still, as we talk, hoping gets to campus in the next week or so, and then Matt Leo. And so they could start three top 50 JUCOs, or not necessarily start, but play three top 50 JUCOs. And like you said, they've kind of tried to get that blend um, on that. Uh, Excuse me, Matt, Matt Leo was the guy they beat Oklahoma on. Yeah, yeah, that's correct. And, and then but yeah. Lima's a guy that uh, Cal tried to flip late and Oregon tried to flip Camilo late. So um, they, they did have to battle, especially for those JUCO guys. Those are guys that you can instantly really turn your season around. That's what Bill Snyder at Kansas State did so well, is take guys from JUCOs and, and get them ingrained into the culture quickly and get them to buy in, and and then they're they're very productive players. And that kind of leads us to the next kind of area we want to go, and that's their Midwest recruiting focus. And like Alex said at the top, you do national recruiting, but you kind of have uh, this niche of the Midwest that you know really well. And since Matt Campbell got to Iowa State, he's tried to um, you know, change the course and how they go after kids and what area of the country they go after kids because there's so many Texas and Oklahoma schools in the Big 12. They have to kind of find a way to differentiate themselves. So I guess that's kind of a long way to get into my question of, how do you feel like they've kind of uh, gone about doing that and what kind of impact have they made in the Midwest in, in a short time already? Well, I think they're doing the best they can. You look in this class, they got Isaiah Lee out of the Chicago area, Trevor Downing, if you count Iowa as the Midwest, they win him in state. They take a six foot five uh, defensive lineman out of Wisconsin and, and Will McDonald, who's got some traits to, to develop. And we talked about JV and Morton. Uh, already, but I think if Iowa State's going to turn themselves into a Big 12 contender, they're going to do it by just having a keen eye uh, evaluating everywhere, but particularly in Texas and Florida and Georgia, where the where those places are so saturated that you can go in there and find two or three steals and, and, and bring them on your roster and they turn into NFL guys under your development. And then, like we talked about already, doing well on the JUCO circuit. I think that's the recipe to turn Iowa State into a regular contender. Yeah, I think it's been interesting. It's been a shift since Matt Campbell's got here, myself covering recruiting. You know, under Paul Rhodes, it was – very heavy Texas, and Campbell said he doesn't want to ignore Texas, but they don't want to necessarily get the fourth-tier guys in Texas. They want to compete against, you know, for Christian Young, they competed against Arizona, Arizona State, Missouri, and some of those schools still going after him. But they want to, when they get kids out of Texas, they want to be competing against the Power 5 schools down there. So it's been an interesting but the shift. the fourth-tier is the Power 5 schools, and the fourth-tier is sometimes full of NFL guys also, is my point. There's so many good players, you never know how they're going to develop on the next level, and uh, it's just down to your evaluating, and, and, and obviously Matt Campbell and company think Christian Young's a guy that can develop into a great player. And I'm just saying finding four or five guys in Texas uh, year in and year out, I think that's I think that has to be part of your recipe. Yeah, for sure. And uh, after I think they only took two Texas kids in the first two classes, but now they're much heavier in Texas now that they've gotten a chance to establish and build some relationships. So um, I guess another thing we wanted to go into was the early signing period because nobody really knows for sure how it's going to play out, but what effect do you think it will have, um, you know, when, when kids do or don't sign in December? Well, it's huge for a school like Iowa State. Um, 
I don't think it's huge for a school like Oklahoma or Texas, but it's big for Iowa State in the sense that, say, they do have a steal and they're trying to keep them away from the Sooners or the Longhorns out of the state of Texas, and they get them signed before those schools get wise to really start pushing for them. It's big. And then, second, it's big for all the colleges in the sense that if you sign – the guys you sign in December, you don't have to pour any more resources into them in January. So when you go back out on the, out on the road to recruit, you don't have to send a coach to go see uh, Alex Halstead, who's already signed his letter of intent. Uh, you don't have to put any more time into that. You can go see some remaining targets that you're trying to close to finish out your class strong. Yeah, I know Matt Campbell likes it for that reason. One, he kind of called it babysitting, where sometimes you babysit in the month of January for kids that know where they want to go. And the second part is if they don't sign that, you know, on, in that period in December, you know maybe you have to be aware of other options. I guess my question was on the flip side is, and this doesn't really relate to Iowa State a ton, but do you think it hurts, us, you know, maybe the MAC level schools where some of these Power Fives tell a kid to, hey, wait till February 1st to sign because if we do have an extra opening, we might give that spot to you? Well, again, I think the rule – helps the back in the sense that they can sign those kids and they don't get flipped but certainly they're going to be battling to get their kids signed and, and some schools are going to be battling to get those kids to not sign so ultimately i didn't think we needed an early signing day it puts more pressure on the kid i liked when we had just one date where a kid was going to have all the information by the time he signed now he may not get an offer till wednesday morning of signing day but at least there was a deadline of when he could have all the information and now it puts a lot of pressure on kids to make a decision in december if an alpha male coach is pressuring them to sign uh, that they're committed and saying hey if you if you don't sign we could end up giving your spot to somebody else where meanwhile uh, a couple schools that are maybe higher in prestige level are telling the young man look you're still very much in play for us. We're not ready to go, but if you're patient, we may have one for you. And if this is the stage you want to play on, you know, wait it out. And I don't think that's fair to the kid. That I don't think it's fair that those kids are in that situation. Uh, I think that the, the rule changes clearly benefit the college coaches. And, and, and so uh, I'm starting to ramble, but you guys get, you guys get what I'm saying. Yeah, for sure. And that's kind of this next question is kind of in that same vein where how have you seen the pace of recruiting change? Because it seems like as the last several years, the evaluations that coaches are making are, are speeding up and getting earlier and earlier. And particularly for a school like Iowa State, they have to evaluate kids so early because uh, they build that relationship sooner than maybe another bigger school with Richard Tradition comes in and can kind of steal them away. But how have you kind of seen that pace of it change where evaluations do take place much earlier than they used to possibly? Well, 100% has changed in that regard. You know, we came out with our top 100 in 2020 today on 24-7 sports and people are like, you're ranking guys that haven't even played their sophomore year in high school was well, most of them on that list have offers if not all of them so the college coaches are offering them we're going to rank them uh, but they have a lot more information now and it's easier to learn about student athletes now for colleges with social media and things like huddle than it than it used to be and, and but let's be honest uh, a lot of these offers these these early offers they're they're just they're just bullshit offers that are if you don't get better you're not going to have an offer later you know it's just a verbal uh we're in remember us later if we're still recruiting you 
Yeah, you mentioned the 2020 thing, and um, Gavin Williams is the one Iowan on that list. Uh, came in at number 84 from Southeast Polk. I think he had 800 plus yards as a true fresh or as a freshman, I guess, since his high school uh, last year. And Iowa State saw him in March. They offered him. He came to camp, and they really like him. But like you said, schools are getting in on some of those kids early, and so we rank them, and and schools see their film and, and see them earlier. So it's been interesting um, to watch that. And that you kind of brought up the. Uh, one of our last points was was the number of offers and um, there's been some debate Iowa and Iowa State are kind of polar opposites in the way they recruit I mean they're just different mentalities and every every staff I think around the country has a different philosophy obviously so there's maybe well, you no have a young coach and a, and a veteran coach first and foremost yeah and there, I mean there's no there's been some arguments in state that have added to the rivalry about the number of people Iowa State offers but uh, what's kind of your thought on the on the offer side? Because when I look at Iowa State's offer list, to me it's not as big of a deal because a lot of those kids are like, you know, their their composites are so high they just take shots at some of those kids that end up at in state at Florida State or LSU, and some of them, you know, maybe they are extending a lot of offers, but some of it's them just trying to get in on kids early and see if they have a chance. I'm fine with the wide net and casting. Uh sending out a bunch of offers it's not about the offers it's about the kids you take and so for iowa state if you're taking 20 you're trying to take you're taking 20 guys that you think can help you beat oklahoma you know who's who's the premier team in the big 12 right now and so that's that's who you're trying to beat so are we taking guys that can help us beat the sooners it's that's it comes down to the takes and not the offers so you're signing these big, massive, large junior college defensive linemen. Those are guys that can help you beat Oklahoma. You're signing skill players with speed. Maybe they aren't ranked as high as the guys going to Oklahoma, but speed is speed. And then you got to get them into college and develop them. There's so much to more. Once you get done recruiting, then you got to develop them, have a good strength coach, have a good coaching staff that puts these young men in a position to win the ball game. Uh, so, but it, it starts with who you're taking. If you're not taking good players, none of the other stuff matters. Yeah, I thought it'd be interesting to get your viewpoint because in the state of Iowa, it's, it gets kind of slow in the summer, and that was a hot topic between the fan bases a little bit. Was that Iowa State offers too many, and it's just a different. You know, Iowa State, you know, last year I think they offered Kobe Boyce first and he ended up, I want to say, he stayed with Texas. And, you know, they were in on him first and they just, if you're in first, in my perspective, from Iowa State, you know, that gives you at least a chance uh, with some of those I don't kids. think it matters when you come in. You know, if a kid's interested in you and he's building a relationship with you and your staff, Iowa State getting that first offer for a kid that if he's predisposed to liking Texas or Oklahoma – it's not going to matter. That's just where where you're at right now. But but there's so many good football players out there that they all can't go to Oklahoma. And you can take guys that Oklahoma didn't have an offer from, and there's going to be a ton of them that are still going to get drafted. Mm-hmm. And there's going to be a ton of there's going to be a ton of kids earning all conference awards and getting drafted that weren't highly recruited. Now it's easier said than done. But it's about evaluating and finding guys that are culture fits for what you want to do. They fit what you do schematically. You have a position for these guys when you recruit them, and they're not just in no man's land when you you get them within your program. 
and then you, you you have a good staff that puts together game plans and gives you a chance to win. But again, it's a Jim's and Joe's game, and evaling and having a good eye for for talent that fits within your program is what what makes a difference in, in winning a lot of ball games. Yeah, I think that's one thing they obviously did well at Toledo. Tom Manning has a couple offensive linemen that are still in the NFL, and I think the starting center for the. Houston Texans, and they just evaluated some of those kids. But uh, the last question, I guess, uh, for you um, was kind of as a Big 12 as a whole because it seems like, um, you know, Iowa State is going after different types of bodies under Matt Campbell, the athletic linebackers that are kind of safety linebacker hybrids, and you mentioned some of those traits. But it seems like Baylor's, you know, getting the fastest guys they can get. You know, what have you kind of seen from the Big 12 as a whole of how they're trending in recruiting but also – maybe the style of players they're going after for the for their style of game well similar to matt campbell you know that a matt rule led staff has a plan that they're going to take to the recruiting trail and they're going to execute it and for them they put a huge premium on verified athleticism and length and speed and they have 18 commits in the number 25 class in the country but it's the fastest class in the country tcu's in the top 20 uh, at number 20, they have one of the best quarterbacks in the country committed. Oklahoma State, they have they are continue to replenish their offensive skill positions. They're sitting at number 27 right now nationally, but they have some guys that can really make a lot of plays in space. And they have the best quarterback in Texas committed, in my opinion, in Spencer Sanders, who is a guy that is, is another that deserves to be uh, mentioned when talking about the best quarterback in the country. Well, that's all the questions. We could probably go on and on with you, but we've taken up 20 minutes, and so I think we've touched on most of the stuff we wanted to touch on. Uh, so thanks for taking some time, and uh, we'll probably touch base with you again, hopefully before signing day. I enjoyed it. Thanks, Alex. Thanks, guys. You have a good one. So that was 24-7 Sports Director of Recruiting, Steve Wiltfong, and uh, we probably could have went on for a long time with him because, you know, if we wanted to, we could have quizzed him about every uh, commit in the class. I think people would find that interesting, but uh, we'll hopefully have him on again before signing day or around signing day to kind of see where Iowa State's class has settled. Um, but I thought, aside from obviously talking about some of those guys, I thought uh, it was interesting to get his perspective on various things. I think the offer thing, you know, the number of offers that go out was interesting because he's completely unbiased when it comes to that, you know, whether it's Iowa or Iowa State. I know that's been a debate for some people, but um, I probably had a bad example with Kobe Boyce, you know, in terms of getting out in front, getting in early. I think Trevor Downing, when you're in 14, 13 months early, that has an impact. But, you know, if a Texas, if you offer the Texas kid first and Texas comes in, it's probably a moot point anyways. But I think it was interesting because, um, he sees us from, you know, open mind without any pre preconceived notions. You know, even us being unbiased, we're always in Iowa and we kind of see how it's done from both sides. And so it's hard for us to even kind of step back. And whereas he sees every program around the country and he sees Rutgers and Iowa State throwing a ton of offers out, but he sees Northwestern and Iowa going at it completely different for different reasons for every program. Yeah, I think he's just, he's outside the bubble, obviously. And that's what I think kind of makes it refreshing and his, his bluntness when talking about things, like you said, there's no predisposition or anything. He's just going to call a spade a spade and, and tell it like it is. So I really enjoyed that, and I found it informative. And hopefully you guys did too, because I think he had a lot of good information. And just a couple of points to touch on with it. I, I agree with the, uh, what he was saying about the, the philosophy of casting a wide net to kind of get this recruiting train going a little bit and there's a lot of different components to it and I think um, just kind of his examples and everything were, were really good and then also the other part that kind of stuck out to me was 
how Iowa State can go about rebuilding its roster. And he kind of compared it maybe a little bit to Kansas State of they got these JUCO guys integrated into the system and really kind of bridges the gap just because to Iowa State you have to recruit a little bit more uniquely than you would uh, another hub around the the country where you have a really big city nearby. You have to get a little bit more creative. And, he, you know, it sounds like um, he's seeing what Iowa State is doing with the JUCO recruiting and then also the Midwest focus. So it's really interesting to kind of get his take on it. But uh, kind of pivoting it away to talk about what Iowa State has uh, coming up with this 2018 class, um, there's 12 commits right now, um, ranked number 60 in the country, number nine in the Big 12, and it, it has the appearance that they're going to probably take around eight more or so. Um, Alex, I guess just to kind of open it up to you, uh, what's kind of the rundown maybe of what you see for the rest of the 2018 class and how it could shape out? I think a couple of things. One, I, in terms of their overall team ranking, I know a lot of people pay attention to that and uh, it probably it does correlate, I think, ultimately, you know, where you finish in your conference and where you finish on the field in your conference. But this year is going to be a little deceiving. You know, if you only take 20 and other school takes 25, 26, you know, it's going to be tougher to finish in that top echelon um, or, you know, continue to top what they've done in the last two classes. I think the thing that's going to be more interesting to watch is what is that average composite score? Um, I didn't bring this. I didn't mention this. I don't think specifically in that interview, but. Iowa State uh, now through two and a half recruiting classes has 28 players with a 24/7 sports composite of uh, 0.8400 or higher, and that's a mid solid mid three star. In the seven years under Paul Rhodes, they had 35 total. So we're just seeing an infusion of talent in that regard. Um, and so it's more I think about how many players you get like that then where do you finish in the recruiting rankings? Although last year they finished seventh of above several Big 12 schools, and that's their goal, but. When you have a class of maybe it ends up being 20 or around 20 and two of them are specialists, it's just hard to say it matters if they finish 58th or wherever as much as how good are those 20 players in the class. But like you said, they've got 12 players in the class. We're almost to mid-August, which is um, a dead period all month this year uh, with the new rule changes. You can't do any visits or anything like that. So it's been really quiet in August, but I think it's allowed a step back to see what's it going to look like uh, when they get to September. And I think we have a pretty good idea. Or I feel like I've got a pretty decent idea of what spots they still want to fill. So we won't go position by position necessarily in what they have and what they need. But here's basically what I think they will probably try to do with those last eight spots. Um, it kind of goes position by position, but we won't break down every player um, like we have in the past. Offensively, they've got two offensive linemen committed. I think they would like one more. Um, so that's one spot on the offensive side. They still need a running back, uh, although Johnny Lang has really changed their perspective on that. I think there's a point where I think they're going to take two running backs. Now I think they'll take one, and if they don't really find a high-level running back, they could even reallocate that spot, although I assume Lou Ayeni really wants a running back. Um, you know, every coach kind of always wants to fill a spot at their position. And so we'll say running back is two spots on offense. And then they've got one receiver. They graduate three uh, in this in this uh, year and so they still would probably take two more receivers probably taller receivers you don't really see them going after slots because they got Treek Milton here now they got Carson Schlecker committed you'll probably see them mostly go after those six foot and above receivers and probably more like six two and above so that's two spots so that's four spots offensively when you look at an offensive lineman a running back and two receivers flipping to the defense they've got two defensive linemen committed I think they'd still like to get two more uh, probably a pass rusher and a true defensive end um I guess a pass rusher type would be Azura Kamara, um, the guy from Arizona State that took an official. 
And the true defensive end type would be a John Wagner, um, obviously from Dowling. So that's two spots defensively. They'd still like another linebacker. And um, then I think they'll still take for sure a safety in this class because uh, they graduate actually four safeties if you count McEnroe, Alexander, the walk-on. So that's that. So that's four spots in defense when you look at two defensive line, one linebacker, and a safety. So it's four spots on each side of the ball. That gets you to 20, but there's always wiggle room. If you get that safety and you can still get a high school safety or high school defensive back too, maybe they take an extra. And you can see that it gets really fluid when you get closer to signing day, but that's kind of the layout. You know, it seems like it's really whittled down to, you know, they only have a few spots at some positions, you know, quarterback, obviously they're done at. Um, and so it'll be interesting to see what happens, especially when we get to September, because I think September 2nd, September 9th, we'll see official visitors come in. We could see some commits for sure by the middle of September. And this class could be, you know, within a handful or so of being completed. Yeah, I think that's kind of the interesting thing is uh, we kind of talked about it a little bit with the conversation with Steve Wilfong. The evaluation of these guys takes place so early now. So a lot of these guys are in the fold right now. And like you said, only eight spots left. And once September rolls around, it'll really get going. And um, I think that's going to do it for this edition of the Cyclone Scoop. And we'll be back with more episodes of more team news. But it's kind of nice to do just an all recruiting centric podcast a little bit to kind of catch everybody up on on where things stand right now but that's all we got for you this week thanks for joining everybody